Good morning, church. Uh, just for your information, we have started. We have started printing out uh, sermon note sheets for children, and they are available. I think like right out here. Uh, so if you think that might be helpful, oh yeah, there it is on the screen. That's what it looks like. So if you think that might be helpful for your little one, uh, feel free to to grab one. Our sermon text this morning is Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 11. Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 11. Today we will be reading about the death and burial of Abraham. So after finding a wife for his son Isaac uh, in the previous chapter, Abraham is finally ready to rest in peace. So please give your attention now to God's holy and infallible word. Genesis chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Laumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Elda'ah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of, of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember a pastor who said that when strangers would ask him about his job, he sometimes would not immediately tell them that he was a pastor because he found that often they might not want to talk to him any further. He wanted to keep the conversation going uh, with these strangers, and so he came up with an interesting idea. When someone asked him, what's your occupation? What do you do for a living? He said something like, I prepare people to die. So that would certainly get someone's attention, right? Uh, and then he would explain that what he means is that he's a pastor. And 
I'm not sure how well that strategy uh, worked for him. I could see that maybe not working very well. Uh, if he did it, for example, with a very traditional Chinese person or something like that. But it really is quite interesting to think about the responsibility of a pastor and the purpose of our faith as preparing for death. A Puritan preacher named Richard Baxter said that he preached as a dying man to dying men. We don't like to think about this necessarily, but everyone in this room will die sooner or later. What do we do about this? How are you preparing for the day of your death? In today's Bible passage, we see something that Abraham made sure to do before his death. And it had to do with his descendants. The chapter begins with a list of names, the names of children and grandchildren that Abraham had through a woman named Keturah. So Keturah was Abraham's concubine, as we see in verse 6, which means that she was not a full wife of Abraham like Sarah was. Sadly, Abraham most likely took Keturah as a concubine, uh, or you could even say as a mistress, before Sarah died. And I've confirmed this with our resident scholar, Dr. Leong. Biblical narrative is not always strictly chronological. Uh, if it were, then we would have to say that Abraham produced six children, starting at about 140 years old, which is quite unlikely. So the NIV has the correct translation when it says, Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. Abraham had relations with Keturah when his wife Sarah was still alive. In other words, he was unfaithful to his wife Sarah. So last Sunday I mentioned how powerful the temptations can be in this area of life. And here we have an illustration of that, even in the life of Abraham, the father of faith. This was a sin of Abraham. And there were consequences. There were now all these children and grandchildren who did not come through the promise of God, but through Abraham's own fleshly desires. Most of their names are unfamiliar to us today as we look at this list. But you might recognize the name Midian. Midian. Midian was the ancestor of the Midianites. And who were the Midianites? Well, they later became enemies of God's people. So if you see later in the book of Genesis, it was Midianite traders who bought Joseph and sold him into slavery in Egypt. And when the Israelites were in the wilderness in the book of Numbers, it was the Midianites along with the Moabites who hired the false prophet Balaam to curse Israel. And in the time of the judges, the Midianites oppressed Israel for seven years before God sent Gideon to rescue them. So there were far-reaching consequences, you see, far-reaching consequences for Abraham's sin. But why is the book of Genesis telling us this now? 
Isn't this from the past? Why bring it up at this point in the book? Well, the purpose is to mention one more act of faith that Abraham performs before he died, which relates to all these other children. So we see this in verses 5 and 6, which says, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. Isaac gets the inheritance. He becomes sole heir of Abraham. The other sons, they receive some gifts, but they are sent away. Is this favoritism? In a manner of speaking, yes, but it is not Abraham's favoritism. It is God's favoritism, so to speak. This is like a previous episode uh, in the life of Abraham when Abraham's wife Sarah wanted to throw Hagar and Ishmael out of the house, uh, out of the home. Abraham was upset. But God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as, as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Sarah meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in that case. And Abraham obeyed. He obeyed this because he understood that the line of promise the line from which Jesus Christ was to be born was to come only through Isaac and not his other sons. And he shows that same understanding here as he sends so all these other sons away from the land of promise. They were not to compete with Isaac for the inheritance. So Abraham dies believing two things that on the surface, may seem to be in contradiction. He believes on the one hand that God would make him the father of many nations. But he believes on the other hand that only Isaac was to be considered, in a real sense, as his son. So these two things seem to almost seem to contradict each other, right? The father of many nations dies having only one son. As the author of the book of Hebrews said, Abraham died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. He died at 175 years old, in a good old age, it says in verse 8 of our text, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac and his half-brother Ishmael buried Abraham, in the cave that he had purchased, that Abraham had purchased to bury his wife, Sarah, a, a cave that reminds us of Abraham's firm belief in God's promise to give him that land, the land of Canaan. So Abraham was buried together with his wife. And in the last verse of our sermon passage, we see once again the divine favor shown Specifically to Isaac, it says in verse 11, After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. So the special blessing and the special grace 
that God placed upon Abraham, choosing him out of the various peoples on the earth, that special grace now passes on to Isaac. And Isaac lives in the sight of God as signified by the place where he settles down, which is called Bir Lahai Roy. So Bir Lahai Roy means the well of the living one who sees me. It was the place where Hagar uh, escaped to when she was running away from Sarah. And it's the place where she met God. Hagar met God and said to him, You are a God who sees me. So Isaac now lives there in Bir Lahai Roy, living his life before the sight of God, who takes care of him and blesses him, just like he blessed his father Abraham. So what then do we learn about God from this passage, from this sermon passage? Most of all, we see the grace of God to sinners, don't we? He blesses people who don't deserve his blessings, people who don't earn his blessings, including these patriarchs, these forefathers of our faith. God shows grace to them. God did not choose Isaac over Ishmael and over all the other children because Isaac was better than them. Right? That's not why God chose Isaac. The choice was made, in fact, before Isaac was even born. And because of this, Isaac becomes symbolic of the fact that salvation is by God's grace alone and is not decided by human effort. Isaac was the son who came through the promise of God. His birth was a miracle. It required divine intervention. That is what Isaac represents. Ishmael and the other sons, on the other hand, they represent human schemes and fleshly efforts and fleshly desires which cannot ultimately bring about the fulfillment of God's promises. They do not lead to salvation. They do not lead to the birth of the Savior of the world. But through Isaac, through Isaac, Jesus Christ was to be born. So Isaac received grace. He received the full inheritance of Abraham and the promises of God and the covenant of grace, even though he did not deserve it. Just as we receive God's grace, even though we deserve judgment and everlasting punishment. So if you are here and you are and you truly believe in Christ and are living a new life in the Spirit, it is not because you are a good person. It is in spite of the fact that you are evil in your thoughts, words, and deeds. It is despite the fact that even your best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. You are saved only because grace has made you children of God. So this is true of Abraham as well, as we see in this passage. Even though we, we see in today's text that he sinned greatly in having relations with Keturah, being unfaithful to his wife Sarah, a heinous sin, God still showed him grace by receiving him into everlasting life 
when it says in verse 8 that Abraham was gathered to his people, Abraham was gathered to his people, it is not talking about his body being buried with his kinsmen. Because he was not buried with his kinsmen, you see. His body was buried far, far away from them in the land of Canaan. What does it mean then that he was gathered to his people? Well, it can only mean that his soul, now having departed from his body, has joined the souls of other believers who passed on from this life. There have been scholars who have said that the writers of Old Testament books don't really believe in an afterlife, but this verse is one of many, many Old Testament verses that prove these scholars wrong. Clearly, what we see here in verse 8 is that Abraham was gathered after his death to join the fellowship of souls in glory, which at the time included Abel, Enoch, Noah, his wife Sarah, and others. Abraham was gathered to his people. So we can say that he was transferred from the church militant here below to the church triumphant above who now live in perfect happiness and holiness in the presence of God. So that's why when you come to the New Testament and you read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, Jesus told this story where there were two men who died, a rich man and a poor man. The rich man wakes up in hell and finds out that the poor man Lazarus went to paradise, to heaven. And who is there with Lazarus in paradise? Abraham. Abraham is there not because he wasn't a sinner, but because God gave him grace. God gave him the grace to be born again, to believe in the gospel, to be counted righteous through his faith, and finally, the grace to be received into everlasting joy in the fellowship of the saints in glory. That's the grace of God in the life of Abraham, whose story on earth comes to a close here, comes to a close here in Genesis chapter 25. Now, how does this passage apply to our lives? As each of our stories, as each of your stories, continue on. How should we live and how should we face death? Since it is God's grace that brings us safely through death into everlasting life, as the scripture teaches. Dear friends, let us be resting on and clinging on to the grace of God. How do we cling on to His grace? Well, by believing in Him, by faith in Him. Faith is looking at the words of God, the words of the Bible, and believing that they are true so much so that you live by them. You live by these words and forsake many of the pleasures of this world. That is exactly what we see here with Abraham as he prepares for his death. 
He believes this promise about Isaac, but it may not have been easy for him to send away all these sons, all these children. He probably loved them too. He may have liked to have them near him as he was passing away. And on a more practical note, he may have been able to strengthen the presence of his clan in the land of Canaan if more of his sons actually lived there. If Isaac stayed together with all his half-brothers, there could have been a quickly growing Abrahamic tribe, you see. And perhaps after a number of generations, they could have grown strong and large enough to actually possess the land, to possess the promised land together. But Abraham was obedient to the word of God. Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So he gave up children that he could see with his own eyes because he believed in the promise of an offspring whom he could not see with his, with his eyes. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By his faith, Abraham clung to the promise of God until the very end. He clung to the word of God's grace. This promise concerning an offspring, a savior of the world. He clung to that. And thereby, after his death, he was gathered to his people. We also, you also, can be gathered to God's people after you die. If you are standing on the promises of God, we are not, of course, waiting on the same exact promises as Abraham was. Uh, some of the promises made to him have already been fulfilled. He was looking forward in faith to the birth of Jesus Christ, and we are looking backward. We're looking in the past in faith to the birth of Christ. For us, the promise that the Savior of mankind would come through the line of Isaac has already been fulfilled. But there are many promises that remain for us to believe in and to put our hope in. So here are several of these promises. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I could go on. There are so many of God's promises found in the Bible for us to hold on to. Do you believe them? Do you believe them enough to live by them? If you do, then you know 
that it can often feel costly to believe in these promises, just as Abraham gave up many sons here in this passage. So you have had to give up many things in life for the sake of your faith. And sometimes it may feel pointless. The number of nice things and pleasures that you deny yourself in this world because you believe in this word. And yet what you often seem to get in return is not to receive the things promised, but simply to see them and greet them from afar. It may sometimes seem meaningless to live this way. But it is not because it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is not pointless to live by faith in God's promises because it is the only way for us to face the great problem of humanity, the problem that we don't like to think about because it's the problem that we cannot solve. We are going to die after a lifetime of sin and will stand before a holy and righteous God who knows everything that we've ever done. The other day when I was reading a Bible story with my two-year-old son, he suddenly said to me, I don't want to die. And he was sad about it. It broke my heart to realize that he also has to face this terrible reality. And I so long for him to feel prepared to face it someday only by faith in God's grace can we face death and not only to face it but even to welcome it the way that the Apostle Paul did when he said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain is gain my desire Paul says, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Only by faith in God's grace can we face death that way. It is what would allow us, like Abraham, to look forward to the city whose designer and builder is God, to desire that better and heavenly country because when we are confident that Christ has taken our judgment on himself and made us righteous and blessed in him by God's sheer grace when we are assured of that confident of that then we understand that death would not be the end of our joy but the doorway into eternal joy the way to be gathered to our people, just like Abraham was gathered to his people. So when we understand that, when we have that confidence in the grace of God on our lives, then we can sing about death the way that the old hymn does. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee, 
on thy judgment throne. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, which does not avoid topics um, that we may not like to think about. Your word speaks of, of things that may be hard to hear about sin, about death. But we thank you that you speak to us the hard truth because we need to hear it. And we are so thankful for this very comforting passage that we see today that you have chosen Abraham and Isaac out of your sheer grace, not because of their own righteousness, but because of your love. You have chosen them, and now they rejoice in your presence. Oh Lord, how we long for that day. Yet many of us may have fear in our hearts. Many here may not feel ready to face that day. Many of us may not be ready for your Son, Jesus Christ, to return again. And so we, we ask your Holy Spirit to work in us, give us confidence and assurance of your grace that you love us, that you have saved us with your gospel, and that nothing will separate us from your love, not even death. Give us that, we pray, and help us help it to define our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.